When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's T with the UFOs want to tell you something. Today we're going to look at the astrobiological implications of space on our human bodies. And we're also going to see if aliens make sense in space as they're depicted. So, some of you may find this one boring, some of you may not. So, let's get it. In brief... Panspermia is the theory that life originated from microorganisms or chemical precursors of life present on, in outer space and able to initiate life on reaching this, a suitable environment. That's panspermia. The astrobiological is the branch of biology concerned with the study of life on Earth and in space. I just wanted to give you a brief synopsis of both panspermia as well as astrobiology. Now these are the theories that I'm working on to go with the UFO phenomenon. Because if you want to prove that it is something, you gotta prove it's possible. I'm sitting here with three textbooks, reading up on them, and checking out every possible angle I can. So this presentation is going to be a long time away. There is a lot that goes into this. I work a day-to-day -day job. This takes up a lot of time. But I love doing it. So if I'm going to prove an extraterrestrial hypothesis, I have to try. And I still could be proven wrong throughout it. But I'm going to give you a brief view of what I have thus far, and kind of present that to my listeners. I think it's important that we don't just jump to the paranormal. If you want to prove something, you have to try. It's one thing to say something's interdimensional. Well, you have to describe and figure out the physics behind another dimension for us then. You can't just claim that. So, I pose the extraterrestrial hypothesis and I'm going to take an adventure to view that. Now how I came about this process again is by one of my favorite researchers Jordan Hoffer or Hofer, rather. We've gone over him before with his book, Evolutionary Ufology, Little Gray Bastards. And he has a third one as well. He is my inspiration. He looks at things a scientific way and demonstrates that through evolutionary ufology. That is my jumping off point. So, if somebody would like to prove me wrong, that invitation is out there. If you're going to pose an interdimensional hypothesis, you need to start getting into physics. Get some textbooks and start reading. I'm open to it. So why do I say UFOs and their occupants come from space. What's my evidence? That may be an argument that is posed. Well, it's simple. In Native American lore, they called them star people. Now there's countless other examples of that throughout ancient history as well. But, 
One main fact is UFOs go into the sky and come down from the sky. They're also seen going into water. But they are observed going into the sky and out of the sky. They observed in space by NASA when people are abducted they can see space around them oftentimes other planets or even our own their physiological features seem to resemble a creature that would have adapted to space these things point towards an extraterrestrial hypothesis People do not have close encounters with ships that come out of the water and come straight toward them often. The vast majority see UFOs coming from the sky and going into the sky. Now it is a working hypothesis. Again, I could still be proven wrong on it. But I don't think my theory is too too shitty, to be honest with you. So I'll tell you how I got started with this astrobiological implications, or rather, whether they be viable in space or not. Now at the time I was working at a convenience store, I had a lot of time on my hands. I would finish my shit early and then I would get right back to research and ringing up customers. And at this point, I had seen a documentary and it was about animal mutilations over in the UK in Ireland. So I reached out to the Animal Pathology Field Unit who investigates those cases and I wanted to speak to David Clayton and I kept trying and I kind of kept getting pushed back and when I asked if I could use the permission to use his research, the work that he used, for a book, I was kind of shot down on it. Which, now, you know, that I know what I do, I don't think I'd go that fucking route. I would just quote it. But at the time, I didn't know. Because I'd never reached out to a researcher or anything like that. I was just excited that I even heard back from one. Now, I was told that there was another group that was researching it, and I believe the book is called Circle of Deceit, and you'll see a gray alien's face on it. David Clayton was working with them on the research and letting them use it for their book. Well, this kind of disappointed me. Because, you know, Americans, we haven't heard of mutilations of corkscrew seals and fucking foxes and weird animals. You know, usually we get cattle mutilations. So I wanted, I was like, wow, that's unique. But somebody beat me to it. And more power to them for doing that, too. I hold no grudges. But that made me have to start looking at other other things. And one of the main things that hit me was these entities are so odd looking. Would this be a viable body in space to either prove or disprove the extraterrestrial hypothesis? And from there, well, here we are now. I began to theorize, and that's when I started to realize certain things, that perhaps, again, on a macroevolutionary level, we could evolve to something similar to that. And just as I theorized that, all of the sudden, they do the twin, NASA twin studies program, or at least release some of the findings of that with Mark and Scott Kelly. 
And one of my proudest achievements is that I theorize that perhaps our bodies adapt to space on a macro or micro evolutionary level. Macro evolutionary, excuse me. And I was super proud to find out that 7% of his DNA had changed just from the short amount of time he spent in space. And that's what led me to my research now. Our bodies in space. Now, I'm going to break down on this just briefly. What happens to our bodies and how they react to space and some of the solutions that we have come up with to solve these issues and some that are still ongoing. So to make a couple bullet points, fluid redistribution shrinks our legs, the oliths in our inner ears respond differently to motion, the eyes become the main way to sense motion, fluid redistribution causes head congestion and puffy face. Changed sensory input confuses the brain causing occasional distortion. Kidney filtration rate increases. Bone loss may cause kidney stones. Loss of blood plasma creates temporary anemia on return to earth. Higher radiation doses may increase cancer risk weight-bearing bones and muscle deterioration, and touch and pressure sensors register no downward force, being there's no gravity. So what is meant by the astrobiological implications? Now what I mean by this is, Given the theory of panspermia and what happens to our bodies in space, I find it very likely, given all the exoplanets and the vastness of the universe and all the stars, that we are not the only ones. I think most scientists would agree with that. In fact, to say otherwise would be quite ignorant. And what I mean by the astrobiological sense of this is the theory of how life would evolve on other planets. Is, are the figures presented to us viable bodies in space or on another planet? Would they make sense? The simple answer in the two that we are going to cover is profoundly yes. To make a point of this, I'm going to point out... So we're going to look at our two entities in particular and describe how these bodies are viable in space or adapted for space travel. We're going to start with the most commonly depicted extraterrestrial. That is the gray. The pigmentation often differs from either white, gray, greenish in color, like a mucousy color, or tan, like in the case of Whitley Strieber's communion. Their heads are often light bulb shaped or teardrop shaped. Skinny frail bodies, hands that hang down to the hips, long skinny fingers, three and a half to four foot tall, can range anywhere from five to six, but most commonly reported three and a half to four foot tall. Often reported with a skin tight jumpsuit, and other times no suit at all, with no reproductive organs visible, a slit for a mouth, two large almond-shaped eyes, two slits for a nose, 
no apparent ears and a bulbous head that sits upon a skinny neck that almost seems as if it wouldn't support it. And rail thin bodies. Now interestingly, they seem to speak to us even though they have a mouth through what people would call telepathy rather than audibly. That is to say through vocal cords. They are often reported as quite emotionless in most cases. More or less they have a job to do and seem to focus on that. Oftentimes not even speaking to the abductee or contactee. And strangely of all, the large, dark, almond-shaped eyes, most commonly reported black, seem to have the most psychological effect on a person. Okay, so let's break down this entity. And let's start with the head. Two large almond-shaped eyes. That one seems to disturb the people the most. Often black, not always reported that way. In fact, I refer back to Betty and Barney Hill. They didn't report the eyes as black, but they did have pupils and irises and their larger shaped eyes. Now skeptics will attack this and say, there was an episode of The Outer Limits, or Hocus Pocus and Frisbee, that influenced Barney Hill's perception of this. Well, I don't really find that to be a valid argument. And we're going to address that on a later episode. Because my Betty and Barney Hill regression tape episodes, those were my first ones, and they were kind of shitty. And I still feel like I owe my listeners better episodes on that. So I will be retouching on Betty and Barney Hill. Over time, I think I've gotten a little better. But we take a look at Whitley Strieber's book Communion and the cover on it. And what stands out the most to people is the eyes. It freaks people the fuck out. If you listen to abductees talking, it's mainly the eyes that scare them. Again, we also refer back to the Rua Zimbabwe case of Aerial School. One of the kids in the documentary with John Mack, when they were speaking to him, talked about the scary eyes. So we can look at that and say what would be the purpose of having large eyes like that? Do they help in space? Well, as it turns out, that would help in space. Our main sensory function in space, and arguably at any point, would be your eyes. Now the black, that could be simply a lens over the eyes. I don't know. Could be completely different. That could be just a solid black eye. And I've also heard the theory of people being hypnotized by their eyes. I don't really buy into that one. That seems like it takes a lot of effort. And I also draw the parallels of if they allegedly can telepathically communicate with you through brainwaves or technology or whatever other means, then theoretically, it wouldn't be a hypnosis kind of thing. I would think it would be something else along the lines of, like I said, brain waves, simply altering our perceptions through brain waves or some other means. Because not often, well not always rather, are the entities right in your face. And again, we can look at Barney Hill for that, with his Irishman and his Nazi. They weren't in his face, 
He was looking at them with binoculars up in the air. Large bulbous heads. Now again, if they can speak to you telepathically, as most people state. This tells me maybe more intelligent than us. In fact, that's kind of a common sense thing. They would be technologically superior to us, they appear to be. And they do seem to be more intelligent than us. They can affect our perceptions, they can speak to us telepathically, from mind to mind. Maybe they simply evolved a different way of using the brain. That they can interact with us in certain ways that we simply can't do. This could come down to genetic modification of themselves, to exert less force and resources upon their own bodies, and making it easier not to use vocal cords, but rather something akin to the neural link, but maybe on a biological level. Now given that, altered perceptions that they seem to pose on people doesn't sound too odd if they were able to tap into our brains in such a way. Oftentimes, people report having headaches. Their heads pounding like Barney Hill again. And actually, the lack of ears as well on these entities supports that theory as well, that they communicate a different way. Now, interestingly, let's go into the mouth, because there is a mouth on these entities. What does that tell us? Interestingly, it tells us that they do eat food, theoretically, unless it is an evolutionary leftover of the genetic modification, which I kind of doubt, or their bodies evolving on a macroevolutionary level in space. Now, every living entity needs to ingest food, digest food, and let it out. I would assume they have that same issue. And I think that's a fair argument. And against the whole they're robots theory, Robots don't really need a mouth. Now, an argument can be made that they ingest food differently, and that is a possibility. But the fact that they do have a mouth tells me that this entity is biological. Now we're going to move down to the neck. Now, this one I find quite interesting as well. They have a skinny, frail neck. That when you hear a lot of abductees or contactees talk about, abductees in particular, one of the phrases you hear a lot is, I wish I could grab them by the skinny neck and snap it. Because they're pissed off. And understandably so. Now back to the telepathy thing. That's a very skinny, frail neck and body. And it doesn't look as if vocal cords would be very strong within that body. So in that sense, that also kind of points, points more to a telepathic thing, in my opinion. Now we have skinny bodies that look frail in nature. Well, we can take a look at this and compare that to our own bodies in space. We have loss of our bone density. This often results in things like kidney stones and things like that. You also have what happens to us in space. Muscular degeneration. So we lose our mass in space. We become skinnier, therefore kind of weaker and frail. So when you look at that, 
that's a strong parallel to what we see with these two entities in particular. Now speaking to some abductees, you will find that these entities aren't at all weak. They just appear to be so. That is to say, in some cases you'll hear about an abductee and they'll refer to one of the entities grabbing them. And it was very firm. And there was strength behind it. Even for a frail body. So is it possible that they face the same issues in space as we do? Could they have genetically modified themselves to adapt better to space? Somehow compacting the muscles and reinforcing the bones or possibly having muscles and bones completely different than ours that are in fact stronger in space. That is to say they don't face the same issues we have. I think it goes without saying that they are not built quite the same way as we are. And what I mean by that is they don't have the same muscular fibers as we do or the same type of bones more than likely. They have something else. So the comparison between us and them is just kind of a going off point. We now move on to the hands, or rather the long skinny fingers. Now theoretically, this would be helpful. Now we know that here on Earth, some of the more advanced species that are able to build things and things like that, while humans, we need opposable thumbs, fingers, in order to be able to, well, like I said, build things. Advance. It's the same reason we don't see, like, dolphins building pyramids in the ocean. And they're highly intelligent animals. Now, as far as the short stature or height, three and a half to four foot tall, that one strikes me as a little odd. Could that somehow help in the spacecraft or rather the UFO? Does this somehow make space travel easier? And that one I don't particularly have an answer to right now. Again, this is ongoing research. I'm just kind of giving you guys a little bit of it. Obviously, my presentation will be a lot more concrete and put together. Now, before we move on to the second one, because we're going to stop at that point with the grays. Next, we're going to go into the mantis. But before we do that, I want to point out the oddity of humans. And what I mean by that is the assumption that everything's got to be a blob with five eyes, ten rows of teeth, sixteen arms. It's, it's utterly ridiculous. I mean, that's science fiction in its own. And I don't understand why we would have such a hard time realizing that something has to be bipedal, for example. They don't have to be necessarily, but that would make the most sense in regards to, like, space travel, for example. I mean, it makes things a lot easier. Now, I say that just going off of what happens to our bodies in space. It seems like that would be easier for us. Now, possibly there are entities like that out there. I don't know. But people don't report that. The main majority of UFO occupants reported are the Greys. Now, 
as far as the telepathy goes, now, by the way, as my listeners know, I hate that fucking term. It's too woo-woo for me. But as far as that goes, we find some interesting parallels as we've already gone through describing the gray in in particular. They have a lack of ears, lack of a mouth, a skinny, frail neck that suggests the vocal cords wouldn't be similar to ours at all. And this leads me to believe there's some credence behind the telepathic nature. A being described like this, if a biological version of the Neuralink, or even something similar to the Neuralink itself, did exist, this creature would make sense having it simply from the features we see. Now they do have a mouth, they just don't use it. They do possibly have vocal cords, but they aren't said to speak like that. And they have no ears. So, a very important question arises on the human level. Now, I've heard this argument far too many times. Why do aliens look like us? Well, simply put, they do not. I have never seen a three and a half to four foot tall man with a large head, big black almond shaped eyes, a slit for a mouth, slit for nostrils, a skinny, frail body. It just, that is not human. I think that argument's a little ridiculous. Now, an argument could be made, I guess, for something along the lines of a six and a half foot tall, blonde haired, blue eyed person. As many know from my research, I don't buy into that at all. In fact, I would more argue along the Turner thesis of altered perceptions, as you all know and are probably getting sick and tired of hearing. But maybe what is meant by that is, why are they bipedal? Now we kind of just went over that. But being bipedal makes more sense. If you're bipedal, you're able to do much more. To think that we're the only bipedal things in the universe, I think, is a little asinine to assume. Again, taking a deep look at these entities, they do not look like us at all. It should become very apparent. Just by the descriptions and the fright of the people alone that have to go through these scenarios. One of the main reasons abductees are so frightened, other than they just get the sense they're about to be abducted, right? They just get afraid. And for obvious reasons, let's take the in the house ones, right? You have intruders in your house, staring you in the face. They look fucking weird. And they're gonna take you, and you know it. Even if it was a human, you'd feel a little weird. But part of the fright comes in because they don't look human. And that adds a little more fright to the whole scenario. In some abduction scenarios and close encounter cases, there is a being that is sometimes reported. Some call this entity the insectoid or mantis being. Now this is due to the characteristics we're about to go in. 
but obviously it resembles a large bug. This is the closest frame of reference a witness, or more commonly an abductee or contactee, can relate them to. Now this insectoid being is reported to be quite skinny, much like the greys. They have three distinct bends in the arms, like a praying mantis, with long digits on the end, much like the greys' long fingers, usually reported between anywhere from six foot to nine foot tall. Pigmentation is usually white skin. I've heard greenish. Their head is triangular with two large black eyes on the sides. Similar to a gray, but different. Now, if a mouth is perceived, it is usually the slit for a mouth, much like the grays as well. Looking at the being head on, many abductees argue with themselves on whether it's a beak, because it's sharply pointed around the chin area, or perceived chin area. And during abduction scenarios, whether through hypnotic regression or just simply recalling the scenarios, these entities are often reported being in charge of like the little greys, for example, or even being the examiners. Some of the ones that do, for lack of a better term, experiments. Now with this entity, one of two things happens. If you're an abductee, you're either extremely frightened, or you feel extreme amount of love for this creature, almost like it's a family member. And in most cases, they even attempt to calm the abductee. Whether through words, or even simply putting their hand over your head which in turn seems to make the fear go away somehow. Now interestingly, with both of these, the greys and the insectoids, when they speak, it's in a monotone. Or some have even reported robotic sounding, like it's a computer talking to you. Lack of emotion, no accent, but monotone. Now in space, what would be the benefits of the body that we see in regards to the insectoid? Well, to take a look at this, we have to take a look at the insects on our planet. Now this entity is reported having a triangular shaped head with eyes on the side of it. Big, large, black eyes. This could increase the range of vision, obviously. That being said, some insects on this planet can do a 180 with their heads. Is it possible this entity can do the same? Even with extended vision, or rather an extended range of vision. Long arms and digited fingers. Well, much as we touched on with the greys, long arms and long digits would be very beneficial for space travel. Not only space travel, but building things, conducting experiments, and simply your day-to-day -day process. Now, much like the greys, we also have to take into account the skinny body, as well as the neck. Now, could this entity in particular have something of an exoskeleton, much like the bugs on this planet? Or are they built more like us? We can take the same process that we did with the greys 
take apart our human body, see what happens to our bodies in space, and put that towards this entity as well. Or, you could also go the route of the exoskeleton and assume that it molts its exoskeleton and has to try to get rid of it. And interestingly, though, taking a look at these entities, oftentimes with the depictions that they're showed in, they aren't usually reported to have exoskeletons, so it's more like us. Now, the features are very insect-like, with the lack of an exoskeleton. Now, could this be due to the fact that perhaps originally they had exoskeletons, evolved past it on either a macro-evolutionary level, genetic modification, or is it simply the parallel to what happens to our bones in space, but on an exoskeleton. Now, there's differences between the insectoids and the greys. Now, they do seem to work hand in hand, perhaps even of the same species. But, these insectoids have been known to actually make noises like clicking, or some form of chatter. It's very odd. One example of this is the account of John Lennon of the Beatles. Now while I have an issue with six and a half foot tall, blonde haired, blue eyed men and women, the perfect humans, and the reptilians, I can't write that off. Given panspermia and the building blocks of life being prominent throughout the universe, and all of the exoplanets, even Earth-like ones, I can't write off the fact that something like that could have evolved in space. I just personally need a little more evidence of that, because that's too close to home. The greys and the insectoids, I can tear those down at least to a certain level, and be able to look at that compared to our bodies in space, while these other two I cannot. But I still leave the possibility open. It's just very hard for me to determine, because of people like David Icke, and some contactees, it's very hard. That one is, it's going to take a lot for me to buy into that. Bilateral symmetry is when you cut a being in half and both sides mirror each other. The left mirrors the right. That is to say you have one eye on the right, one eye on the left. One arm on the, le on the left, one arm on the right. You simply match. It's just mirrored. Now bilateral symmetry makes sense. And it would be a little ridiculous to assume that we have a 16-armed goo monster with five eyes, and that would be flying a UFO. Or that is what an extraterrestrial looks like. It's ridiculous to assume that they'd be silicone-based, or other things like that, rather than similar to ourselves. Now what I hear when I hear something like that, as an argument, that tells me it's wishful thinking. Because you expect to see something odd like that, not Earth-like, that is to say something of bilateral symmetry, that is humanoid, you're looking something out of a sci-fi movie like Alien. And to put an interesting note on that, Alien is extremely popular. Now, I know you all know what I'm talking about when I say that. So why is it nobody ever reports 
those entities flying a flying saucer or even something similar to those, if pop culture has an effect on ufology. Now, as I've pointed out through this podcast, there are certain little things that add up. So that is to say, telepathy with no ears, small to minimal, if not any, vocal cords, mouths that don't seem to move. That adds credence to the telepathy part. We have small humanoids that seem to mimic what happens to our bodies in space over over time. Merely adapted. And I don't want to hear the argument of that's us in the future. I don't buy time travel. It's very paradoxical. We need to figure things out from a logical viewpoint, which is what I'm trying to demonstrate with this. Now here's one of the interesting parts. Could we figure out the issues with our bodies in space and some solutions if we look at these entities and tear it apart? Now, at least to a certain degree, the answer to that is yes. At least as far as space travel and being in space. Now, as Preston Dennett pointed out, who says that they can't just go from their planet to here through a wormhole, Einstein's Rosenbridge? Well, theoretically, I suppose that'd be possible. But the figures we see do seem to be quite adapted. Whether that be through... Maybe their job is to traverse the universe and do whatever they have to do. Maybe that's why they have that form. Could similar entities from whatever planet they're from look starkly different than them and through genetic modification or other means macroevolution have appeared the way they have it's just an interesting thought now this podcast I'm just kind of giving you guys an idea of my talk now again it's a working hypothesis. But this is where my mindset is right now. We have to try to look at things scientifically and not just do this whole they're from another dimension so therefore they look this way. That's too easy, too ridiculous, my god. Again, this is why I try to tell my listeners to look at different aspects of things. So with that, this is a bit of a shorter one. I know I'm doing one every two weeks. I just kind of wanted to get one out there, give you a preview of my presentation and my working hypothesis on this. And I think it's very interesting. And this is what I mean by looking at things a scientific way rather than going the easy route and just saying that they're from a parallel universe or they're demons or you know so on so forth if you want to prove they're extraterrestrial you got to look at aspects like this if you want to prove there's something else you need to come up with a different way so I want my listeners to take that in mind don't just listen to the Greg Newkirks out there, Mike Clowens, the Nick Redferns, all of them nice guys in their own right. 
but in my opinion, they have a little bit of an agenda to push. Because me, I'm open to possibilities. If they turned out to be interdimensional, it wouldn't bother me one bit. My life still goes on. And so will my research. Now with that guys, I'm going to leave you here. I just wanted to give you a brief, you know, a brief of where I'm at with my research and my presentation. I'm also working on a book. The title's a little up in the air, but it's all Mantis Encounters. I think I'm going to call it something like Fucking Bugs or Bugs and Saucers. Something along those lines. I don't know yet. But if you'd like to reach out to me and appear on the podcast, my email address is theufos at yahoo.com. If you want, I mean, we've got a Facebook now. You can check me out on there. I'm going to be uploading every two weeks my podcast. We've got a YouTube channel now. I've been putting videos out on there. It takes a long time to create them, but I'm getting there. This week, I'm just now getting to the uh, Nick Redford one, which I know is going to piss some of you guys off. So go ahead and check that out. I will say I do like Nick Redford. In fact, I find his theory on Antonio Villas Boas, as well as Betty and Barney Hill, quite interesting. But with that, I'm going to leave you guys. If you want me to give you a shout out, go ahead and email me. If you're a research group and you want a little more, want a podcast to shout you out, reach out to me on that as well. I want to thank the Ghoulies, the Hot Rods from Outer Space, Badass Band, and Songs. Check them out. Go ahead and check out Researching Ancient Aliens, Extraterrestrials, and Cryptozoologies group on Facebook. They're nice people, pretty badass content. And again, I want to thank you guys for listening. If you're an abductee and you need help, reach out to me or the many guests that I have on, and we can point you to the place that you need to go. All right, guys, keep kicking it.